How would you like to get your USMLE or Comlex registration fee paid for? Well, stick around to the end to find out how. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Today, it's part two of Stuart and me discussing microbiology questions. And then before we get to that, though, here is a selection of two questions from our All Audio QBank. Go download the iOS beta app now for more high-yield learning on the go. So let's get right into it. A 22-year-old mother brings her six-day-old newborn into your clinic. The mother noticed purulent discharge from the child's eyes starting that morning. She did not have prenatal care, but states the pregnancy and delivery were uncomplicated. Upon physical examination, there is purulent discharge noted from both of the infant's eyes, as well as erythema and inflammation. What is the most likely causative organism? Is it A, Neisseria gonorrhea, B, parainfluenza virus, C, rubella virus, or D, treponema pallidum? And the correct answer here is A, Neisseria gonorrhea. Conjunctivitis is a feared complication in the newborn. And during pregnancy, women are routinely screened for both gonorrhea and chlamydia. If a fetus is born vaginally to a mother infected with gonorrhea or chlamydia, they can develop a purulent conjunctivitis and pneumonia. If a neonate develops a purulent conjunctivitis within the first week of life, it is often caused by either chlamydia or gonorrhea. Conjunctivitis can also be caused by viruses, but due to the lack of prenatal care in this mother, and the development of the conjunctivitis so soon after birth, gonorrhea is the most likely etiology. And the board's insider tip for this one? Note that in this question, the answer choices you were given are gonorrhea, parainfluenza virus, rubella, and syphilis. It's important to note that chlamydial conjunctivitis is the most common cause of conjunctivitis in the neonatal period. However, gonorrhea is another prominent cause, and since chlamydia is not mentioned here as an answer choice, by default, gonorrhea becomes the correct answer. Often questions will present a selection of answer choices, including, for instance, the second most common cause of a disease, leaving out the most common cause of the disease. That being said, it's important during your study to pay attention to what the review books group together when discussing particular conditions. If you open up a chapter in a book and read about neonatal conjunctivitis, you'll see both chlamydia and gonorrhea discussed in that same section. However, it's important to remember, when disease processes or other things that might show up as answer choices on an exam are grouped together in the review books, take note especially when attention is drawn to both the first-line therapy, number one cause of a disease, as well as other closely related causes or treatments. Sometimes you just have to know the first and second most commons. Another good example of this is chlamydia in adults. 
The first-line therapy is azithromycin. However, an acceptable alternative is doxycycline. Because of this, it allows the test writers to construct questions that assess your learning and understanding of the clinical situations wherein one would be more appropriate than the other. A good example of this would be to note within the vignette that a patient has a particular allergy, for instance, to a macrolide antibiotic, describe a case of chlamydia, and then ask which of the following is the most appropriate treatment, listing answer choices, which include azithromycin and doxycycline. What they'd be looking to test there would be your attention to the detail of the allergy to a macrolide antibiotic, in which case you'd go with doxycycline. All right, next question from our All Audio QBank. A 24-year-old woman comes to your clinic for four days of vaginal itching and discharge. She admits recent sexual intercourse with three new male partners without the use of condoms. Her last instance of intercourse was one week ago. Her only medication is an oral contraceptive. In college, she tested positive for chlamydia, but developed hives and diarrhea after receiving azithromycin. Vital signs are normal. Speculum exam shows purulent cervical discharge, and there is no cervical motion tenderness on bimanual examination. Urine pregnancy test is negative. You give intramuscular ceftriaxone and prescribe a week-long course of doxycycline. In addition to discussing side effects, which of the following foods should the patient avoid? Is it A. Alcohol B. Dairy C. Grapefruit juice Or is it D. Green leafy vegetables And the correct answer is B. Dairy This patient's exam is consistent with cervicitis, suspicious for gonorrhea, which is often present with chlamydia. Ceftriaxone is given for gonorrhea with azithromycin or doxycycline. A physical property of tetracyclines is that they complex with divalent cations. When tetracyclines are taken with calcium and other cations, they can form precipitates in the GI tract, preventing absorption. And the board's insider tip for this one is, tetracyclines are used for atypical bacterial and zoonotic infections. In outpatient therapy, patients should avoid dairy and antacids, which can decrease absorption. All right, and now let's get back to our part two micro-question breakdown with me and Stuart. Next, so interrogatory first. Consumption of which of the following foods is most likely causing this patient's symptoms? All right, so there's step one. Step two, going to read the vignette. A six-year-old female is seen in the emergency department because of an inability to move her lower extremities and two episodes of hematochesia in the past four days. Her parents state that she recently came back from a camping trip. Man, those camping trips are always always important. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shortly after returning, the patient um, started having trouble moving her feet. And today on exam, her findings show absent patellar reflexes and two plus brachioradialis reflexes. In addition, the parents note that she's also had a few days of mild joint pain, which has since resolved. So again, a reminder, 
consumption of which of the following foods is most likely causing this patient's symptoms. So step three, let's summarize what we know. Six-year-old girl, bloody diarrhea, difficulty moving her lower extremities with absent lower extremity reflexes at the patella. She went camping and she had joint pain that went away. Which food did she eat that might cause this? Uh, Number one, got to know probably the diagnosis. So this sounds like Guillain-Barre to me. And what causes Guillain-Barre? What's associated with it? Campylobacter jejuni. So which food is Campylobacter? I think it's poultry. It is poultry. Undercooked chicken. Oh, man, I might have got this one. So our answer choices were raw shellfish, A, B, mayonnaise, C, undercooked chicken. That's the one I'm going to go with. And D, undercooked beef. So, yeah, the correct answer, I'm going to say, is undercooked chicken. All right, moving on to the next one. No, just kidding. (laughs) All right. So just a few points here, I guess. Uh, You should recognize this patient as a progressive ascending paralysis, right? And uh, bloody diarrhea. So we know she's going to have one of these hemorrhagic diarrhea-causing bugs, of which Campylobacter is one of them. And uh, there are a few more, which I guess we can mention briefly here. I guess what I was going to ask, I I guess, is the arthralgias that went away. So the intermittent arthralgia that resolved is related to reactive arthritis. So when they have a bacterial infection, your immune system kind of kicks off and may give you poly or I guess mono or oligoarthritis briefly that should be resolving. I think it's kind of weird Darn. that they threw it in there. <laughs> they don't it's not needed, but like it's just a a way of adding that little fact in that that we we can have that with uh I guess any bacterial infection. I'm not I don't have like a Yeah, that's, that's probably true. But that I mean that makes sense. She's got reactive arthritis. Mm-hmm. All right, so Campylobacter, what is it? It's a uh, gram negative, oxidase positive. I, I like the mnemonic mentioned in first aid that um, Campylobacter likes the hot campfire. So that's if you're going camping, you can get Campylobacter. Hot campfire should bring up like, uh, I don't know, maybe the arthralgias, the, the pain and inflammation there. Yeah. Um, and then your colon burning or your intestines burning. <laughs> I don't know. Abdominal pain there. I think. I don't know. That's, it- I can't think of a good mnemonic. Trying to remember like the sketchy for Campylobacter. There's like a guy hitting his knee, which is indicative of the reactive arthritis. There's the 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 bloody st- the red stool, which signifies bloody stool. The chicken being cooked over a fire, and then there are bears. Bears playing. I forget what the bears indicate. <laughs> oh. I feel like Guillain-Barre is one of those eponyms that still sticks around, at least in all the, the review books. But I suppose we should say that the more appropriate descriptive term for Guillain-Barre is uh, an acute inflammatory demyelinating polyradiculopathy. Because it just rolls, rolls off, off the tongue, the tongue there, bud. Yeah. Right. That's how I want to respond, like let everyone know what this is. I don't even. I don't even remember what you said. Like I, I was lost by the time you got to finished with that sentence. <laughs> Wasn't even um, a na- a label. 
It was a dissertation. Why use an eponym when you can use a $100 phrase? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so Guillain-Barre slash AIDP. Can we, is that an acronym? Sure. We'll make it one. We'll make it one. Autoimmune destroys Schwann cells and you get inflammation and demyelination of peripheral nerves and motor fibers, which is why you get the ascending uh, paralysis. The, the treatment or the natural course of the disease is most people end up recovering, but those who are in dire straits and whose respiratory apparatus is, is affected would need supportive care, perhaps intubation. Uh, major kind of associations to remember CSF findings. Do you remember what those are? CSF findings yeah. in Guillain-Barre? Yep. They're not normal? I don't know. I don't, exactly. I don't think I've ever had a CSF findings question on Guillain-Barre. Albuminocytologic dissociation. Increase CSF protein with a normal cell count. So that's what you meant, right? Like the cells are normal, but the protein's elevated? Sounds like, sounds like MS. Me? Sounds like MS. It's the same thing happening in both cases. So you have an acute demyelination you're going to have the protein dissociation, just like MS. MS, uh, in the CSF, you can have a mild pleocytosis or increase in the cell number, and you also see oligoclonal bands. Yeah, but the oligoclonal bands are from... Maybe it's just the increased protein I'm thinking of, because that's from more... That's from there being immunoglobulin in the CSF. Which is an albumin, I'll give you that. But that's where I'm thinking of the protein. Okay, maybe we should end it here so we don't like try to think through this and confuse people. <laughs> Someone do us a favor. Post, a, I don't know, a tweet or Instagram story or post that explains the CSF findings in MS in a succinct manner. It's uh, inside the boards on Instagram and at Boards Insider on Twitter. You want to end it here? Sure. Two announcements for you hardcore Boards Insiders. Number one, thanks for sticking around to the end. Go to bit.ly slash paymyusmle or click the link in the show notes. We're running a contest for three months at the end of each month, the top three winners will be entered into a drawing for the grand prize, which is we will pay for your USMLE or Comlex registration fee. Well, physicianloans.com will. You earn points by doing certain actions that help spread the word about ITB. But also, and my favorite part of this, is we're granting points as well for you doing the things you hopefully are already doing in life but doing so with some intention and to encourage other med students who may have a presence on social media and to whom you are connected. I posted an example to Inside the Board's Instagram with what we mean here, but the long and the short of it is post yourself doing various non-medical school activities that promote work-life balance, like exercising or cooking a healthy meal walking your dog, spending time with your family, tag at Inside the Boards in your Instagram story and use the hashtag Listen, Learn, Live. It's just another way that we want to encourage the well-being of our listeners, besides, of course, the cool meditations we included for free in our iOS beta app. 
but we do need your help because we do kind of, you know, want to start a movement, a revolution of sorts, if you will, and this is the first step. Next, search your favorite podcatcher for Physiology by Physio, our newest podcast we're doing in conjunction with Physio and hosted by ITV's own Greg Rodden, who created the Med School Phys podcast. This show is going to help you learn physiology topics another way we're trying to help you save time and learn on the go.